I'm wrapped up in it. I'm going to try to pull the strength from within to express my love for all of you. Um, Love is overwhelming, and uh, just looking around the room, I don't normally stand in the back, but I don't want everybody to see me uh, ugly cry, so... But looking in the back, I can see everybody in the room. And I'm like, I love you guys. I love all of you. Um, and uh, I'm just grateful to be uh, where I am today with you guys. Um, so let me pray. Because God, I need you. God, I need you. My body is weak. My emotions are high, Um, I'm tired, and I need you, God. I need you for strength today, and I want this message this morning to be one that communicates your holiness, the ministers to your soul that brings glory to your name, that honors you, that edifies the church, that that uplifts and encourages each and every soul in this room that we would leave from this place, knowing that you were here and you are with us and you are God and you are good. So I pray, Lord, that you would calm my soul, bring peace, bring peace this morning. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. I think sometimes that's all I need is just a little prayer to get me back on track. So we are in a new series called Ashes to Ashes. Um, I wanted to start it last week or two weeks ago. Getting around to it, I wanted to kind of get into the mode, get into the rhythm of the church up leading, or leading up to Easter. Um, and two weeks ago was Ash Wednesday. And I, my intention or my purpose and, and my hopes for this series was to go from Ash Wednesday where in the, the liturgical church they would mark themselves with a, um, a cross on their foreheads from ash to represent the repentance um, as in, in throughout the entire Old Testament and into the New Testament. Ashes appear um, in, in multiple different ways to represent repentance, uh, the sacrifice that was made through the burnt offerings, um, sorrow, mourning, uh, and they all lead to something. Ashes always lead to something. Ashes to ashes is typically used in reference to someone passing away. Uh, It means that humans are on earth and it will return to earth after death. You hear it from ashes to ashes or from dust to dust we shall return. So I wanted to take this as sort of an opportunity to go through a narrative study on the term ashes. And so what I, what I did um, was I spent a couple hours in the prayer room and I looked up every single verse in the entire Bible that had the word ashes in it. And I wanted to see what is the significance of this term ashes. And I, I highly encourage this for you. I mean, Typically, I enjoy preaching from a book of the Bible and going through a whole study, like from uh, chapter 1 to chapter 6, or whatever it takes to get through that book. But sometimes it's, it's fun to go through the Bible and say, well, what is the narrative of this as it is uh, 
presented to us from the beginning of time until the end of time. And that's kind of what we're doing with this one, is we're going to look at this term and <clears throat> look at what ashes represents from the beginning of time till the end of time. And I do have to be honest, um, this message has changed quite a bit for me after listening to uh, Naomi's message last week. Thank you, Naomi. So good. So good. Talking about the holiness of God and getting wrapped up in the holiness of God, uh, it caused me to go, okay, I just want to remain here for a little bit. And so just to recap some of the, the four main points that Naomi had last week, God's holiness should be at the center of our lives. When we go into Isaiah 6, and you see yourself, and this is what I love to do during prayer times, is make a mental image. That's why I start weeping sometimes, is because when I start to picture myself approaching the throne room of God, and his whole hem of his robe fills the temple with glory, you can't help but weep at his majesty and his glory. It should bring you to tears. It should bring you to your knees. It should humble you. It should break you. Because his righteousness is that powerful. His holiness is that good that you cannot stand in his presence. You can't help but weep because you recognize your own sinfulness and your own humanity and your need for a savior. Second point, God's holiness shows us the ugliness of our sin and our need for God's grace. I do think that um, Naomi could have changed the title of the message if she wanted to, uh, from the ashes of the briar grew the myrtle, right? Or from the ashes of the thorn bush grew the cypress tree, as she mentioned in her message. That's what God does, right? He takes the old the dead, the broken, and he raises it to new life. That's what ashes to ashes is really all about. Each one of us being dead in our transgressions, being dead in our sins, needing a newness of life is brought up from ashes to ashes and what Christ has done for us on the cross. We'll get more specifically to that one <clears throat> when we get towards Easter, third point was God's holiness is meant to be the ultimate pursuit and purpose of our lives. When we pursue holiness, our entire life changes. Our intentions, our motivations, our goals, our values. You shouldn't be the same person you were yesterday. You shouldn't be the same person you were before you knew the Lord. Something changes in you when you pursue holiness. And as she wrapped it up, she said, everyone longs for a world ruled by a holy God. That's what we anticipate. That's what we move towards and, and long for is that world that has no pain, no suffering, and we exist in the presence of God for all of of eternity there is a deep inner longing within us to be in the presence of God to sit at his feet just to give you an overview of where I want to take this this week I have planned for us to look at ashes of anger being turned into ashes of celebration and if you want to turn your Bibles there I'm going to be in 2nd Samuel chapter 6 we're going to read through a story of David 
Next week, I'm going to try to look at ashes of mourning turning ashes to healing. From, and then the week after that, from ashes of repentance to ashes of power. And then on Easter, we'll talk about the ashes of sacrifice turning to the ashes of community. Sorry, the Easter one's going to be ashes of death to ashes to life. Where's my clicker here? So from, from the ashes of anger, 2 Samuel chapter 6. In Hebrew, the word for holy is kadesh. It means to carve out or to separate, to anoint or to make otherly. And I think what we see in the beginning of time is this holiness that God has said, this is holy. And he declares that for Sabbath and sanctuary. That's what he uses the word holy for. Andrew Murray has a quote, says, The pursuit of holiness begins with God himself. Holiness is not something we do for God. It is something God does within us. He creates the holiness. God meets us in these far-off places. And as we'll see here, David was found in these far-off places. And holiness is first an encounter with God. When you encounter God, your life should be changed forever. The series, as we look through these ashes, we'll start here, 2 Samuel chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, I have them on the screen. If you do have a Bible, I encourage you to open it up and read it, as Naomi encouraged us last week. I love to hear the flipping of pages. I know I, I don't even have mine up here because I had it written down, but if you have one, please bring it. It says, David again brought together all the able young men of Israel, 30,000. He and all his men went to Belah in Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim on the hill, on the, sorry, enthroned between the cherubim on the ark. They set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it. And Ahio was walking in front of it. David and all Israel were, were celebrating with all their might before the Lord, with castanets, harps, lyres, timbrels, sistrums, and cymbals. Okay? To set the stage here, David okay, has just become the king of Israel. David was anointed king of two tribes seven years earlier, and, and this is the moment that David now becomes king of Israel all of Israel. And when they anointed David to become the king of all 12 tribes, this is that beautiful moment where he says, if I'm going to become king, I want the Ark of the Covenant in this city. I don't want to be king unless the presence of God is here. I changed a lot of the message this morning because I started thinking about the commissioning that you guys are going to pray for me to be a pastor, to recognize me formally in front of the church today. And when I read this story earlier this week, I was like, I don't want to pastor a church if the presence of God is not here. I want the presence of God to be here in this church, in all that we do. That 
is our focus. And I know that we're going into a time where we're going to start trying to put vision and direction and mission, all that stuff into our church. Honestly, I don't care about the wording. It doesn't matter to me if the presence of God is not here. That is our mission Our mission is to glorify God with our lives through everything that we do here as a church. It's not about programs. It's not even about community. It's not about preaching or teaching or having excellency or any of that other stuff. It don't matter if the presence of God is not there. And that's exactly what David is saying. He's saying we got to go get the ark, and bring it into the city of God. What God whispered into David's ear was that the the ark of the covenant is not here. So the first thing David does as the king is he puts together 30,000 men and says, let's go get this thing. Let's go get this back from the Philistines who stole it from us 400 years ago. The Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament represented the presence of God, the manifest presence of God. Jesus had not come yet. God manifested himself through the Ark of the Covenant. If you wanted to go be with God, you'd go find the Ark. And for 400 years, the Philistines had it captured. David says, we got to bring this back. And what was interesting to me was like, David wasn't even the second king of Israel. Saul was. And Saul had gone on for 40 years with no Ark of the Covenant in Israel. David longed for the presence of God. Can you imagine being a part of a church or part of a season without God's stuff in it? Without God worshiping Him in His presence? Without God in the midst of us. And we had some prayer time this morning, and, and my wife prayed about the thankfulness for the rain, and we thought, you know, we're thinking about the drought that's been around for years and years, and now we're getting flooded with rain, and that's where my prayer shifted. It was, God, we have lived in a, a, a drought of the Spirit for far too long. And we need to experience an overflow of the Spirit of God. May it rain down on us. So David says, let's get 30,000 men. Let's go get this thing. And and as he does, this is how the story goes. 30,000 men, they go and they, they capture, or they go and they get back the ark. He goes to Dag, uh, the, the city in Philistine. I'm trying to find the name. I, I lose my spot here. Philistines. And they, and they come to the temple where this thing is housed. And it's in the house along with the Philistine god Dagon. Right? Sorry. I'm going to summarize it for you because I lost my spot in there. This is what happens. They go to find the Ark of the Covenant, and what happens in the middle of the night is that Dagon, 
right? They house this Ark of the Covenant in, the, in this temple with this other god. And when they come in the morning, Dagon had fallen over, this little statue had fallen over and was bowing at the Ark of the Covenant. And so the Philistines go in and they stand Dagon back up and they say, that's weird, they're confused by this. And the next morning when they come in to check on the Ark of the Covenant, Dagon again has fallen over and his arms are broken and his head is cut off because the manifestation of the Spirit destroyed all other gods. So David has this encounter with the holiness of God. He longs to see the presence of God, the glory of God come into his city. And so he gets uh, the, these guys, and they're carrying it back into um, the city of David. And as they're carrying it, he, he, it says he created this new cart to carry the Ark of the Covenant. And as they are pushing the cart, or pulling the cart into the city of David, when they got to the threshing floor of Nacom, the cart stumble, or the oxen stumbles, and Uzzah reaches out and steadies the ark with his hand. And he drops over dead. He falls over and dies. David, who longs to see the presence of God in his city, has to take a moment. Uzzah, Right? One of these soldiers tries to steady the ark. You don't steady the ark. God steadies you. If you reach out the ark and try to start doing things on your own strength, you're acting out of disobedience. God steadies you. Uzzah, in his own strength, puts out his hand as the oxen stumbles and when the oxen stumbles, it exposes his weakness deeply. Sometimes pain reveals what's in us. And I think it was in this moment, Uzzah, who uses his own strength, acts in disobedience. In Nehemiah, he says, not by my might, not by strength, but by God's Spirit, says the Lord. Holiness is the work of God's Spirit in us. We don't bring our own strength. We surrender to His strength. Holiness comes from deep surrender to God, not the strength that somehow we can bring to Him. Here's a quote. When we think holiness is about us and what we can do, it becomes about religion. And we create environments of shame and fear. But to become a people who keep holy, who become holy, we learn to not put our hands on God, but to let him put his hands on us. Uzzah and Ahio were the sons of Abinadab, okay? where the, the Ark of the Covenant had rested in this field, right, where, where the, when they were transferring this Ark of the Covenant and they rested this, this Ark in the field, okay, it said it remained in Abinadab's field for 40 years, I think it said. And Uzzah and Ohio, Ohio 
remained in this house for 40 years, and they watched as their dad kept watch over the ark. Okay? I, I think a couple things happened here, and, and these couple things could also happen to us. They saw the manifest presence of God waiting in their field. They were like pastor's kids. I'm sorry for my kids, right? Like, they could have gotten too familiar with the presence of God where they started thinking, well, that's just a box that's out there, that this is just a church. Tozer says this, we've lost the sense of the sacred. We've lost, oh, sorry, did I go too far? We've lost the sense of the sacred. The revival we need today is a revival of reverence and sacredness in the presence of God. He says, Tozer says, this is where we come face to face with the holy. Our lack of sacredness has become a wall that keeps us from these awesome moments of reverence. We ought to take off our shoes, put aside everything else, and experience the one who is revealing himself in this moment. Worship is not about stirring up emotional enthusiasm. I know I cry a lot and I'm emotional about it. That's not what it's about. I don't cry to try to get you to cry. I don't express my emotions because I want you to be emotional. Sometimes I get passionate and I just, I can't help it. It's not about stirring up some emotional enthusiasm, but it's about bringing us into the reverence of His holiness. It should move us. His, His holiness should move us. And I do think that sometimes in the Western church, we've been drawn more to the hype than the holy. Uzzah in Ohio. Uzzah is the Hebrew word for strength. And Ohio is the Hebrew word for friendliness. When I look at our churches today, it's so tempting for us to build a new sexy cart that looks so good for God that if we put him on this cart, you know, we'll carry him. Or to come and be a friendly church, to be a church that exerts our strength and expresses our excellencies in the best way that we possibly can, but we miss out on the holiness of God. We start doing everything in our own strength, and that's not what he wants. He doesn't care about your excellencies. He created you. He made you that way. He wants your heart. It's interesting that this happens. It says that when they arrive at the, the threshing floor, this is the place where they would gather the wheat and, and they would separate the chaff from the wheat. They would take these little things and they would shake them like this and all the chaff would go in the air and the good wheat would stay and this is where they would <clears throat> gather. And, and it was in this moment when they were gathering for worship, they got excited for worship, that they would put the ark on the cart. And the ark had never been on a cart before until the Philistines had captured it. The first thing they did was put it on a cart because they were trying to replicate their culture. What are we doing in the church that just replicates the culture without understanding the holiness of God? I just wonder, how are we imitating the world? How are we fashioning our worship and our communities 
to be relevant rather than to be holy. In verse 8, it says, Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah, and to this day that place is called Perez Uzzah. David was now afraid of the Lord. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How can the ark of the, ever, the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite for three months, and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Sometimes you will get angry, you'll get scared, and the best thing you can do is stop doing everything and go seek the Lord. God, why? Did Uzzah have to die? He was a man of strength and a man of God. Why did he have to die? David becomes angry and he does nothing. He says, I have to stop right here. And the ark stopped and it stopped right in its tracks. For three months it stopped. I think there's moments in our lives where things happen and the best, best thing to do is stop. And seek the Lord again. Find His holiness again. And stop forcing things to happen. So in these months of seeking the Lord, he says in the book of Chronicles, he has this aha moment in the presence of God. He realizes we were never to put the ark on a cart. It's always meant to come through worship. And David says we forgot to seek the Lord. We didn't ask God how to get the cart back into the city. He went out in his own strength with 30,000 men and said, we're getting that ark and we're bringing it back here. And God said, no, no, you're not. That's not the way I had it planned for you. You need to pause and hold yourself. Hold on a minute. After these three months, David went back and he brought the ark of God from the house of Edom to the city of David with great celebration. And this is where the ashes come in. Holiness leads us from our own strength to surrender. Holiness leads us from holy passion to holy obedience. David as he seeks the Lord, that God says something and, and we didn't obey, how many of us are filled with holy passion but are not living in obedience? Richard Foster says, Worship begins in holy expectancy yet ends in holy obedience. We come expectant but we leave obedience. Holiness is an invitation into or from holy passion to actually obey God. And when you encounter God, who's holy, and you get his holiness in you, your life is no longer in your strength. It's no longer in your Uzzah. You surrender your Uzzah. You surrender your Ahayo, and you go and you worship God in holy passion, and that leads to holy obedience to God. And it says David is a man after God's own heart, right? Why is David a man after God's own heart? It's, it's not because he did everything right. In fact, he probably broke every Ten Commandment there was and was one of the worst of sinners, but he got the right thing right. He sought God in his weakness. He repented of his sins. 
He left with holy obedience, and every time that he was asked to do something, even though he may have done it wrong the first time, he says, okay, God, I will do it your way instead. So let's go get this ark again, and let's put it on the shoulders of the priest, because that's what you told us to do. Put it on the shoulder of the priest. We come to verse 13. And it says, when those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. The ashes arose from the ground. Every time you burn a calf and you make an offering to the Lord, what remains are the ashes. And when I read this story, I was like, there's ashes in the story. The bull has been caught up in flames. And it says, wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. While he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. Six steps He said, oh God, thank you for not killing all of my priests. You are holy, God. And I will do it as you have said to do. We will put it on the shoulder of the worshipers. You are our kingdom of priests. You, in this room, church, are designed to be the ones who carry the Ark of the Covenant as a kingdom of priests. You have a mandate from God to carry the manifestation of the Spirit of God. Just as it was carried in the ark, now it is carried through the Spirit of Christ in you. You carry the ark of the covenant, not some strong soldier who we have appointed, someone who's excellent and an excellent speaker. It's not about them. It's about you. When we have passion without obedience it becomes hype. When we have obedience without passion, it becomes religion. But when we have holy passion, we have that hype for God. Obedience comes as an overflow of awe and adoration and intimacy with God. That's where we have holiness. holy passion combined with holy obedience and we must become a people who allow for a collision of passion and obedience for us to become a people of awe and surrender to him what we need in the church is a revival of reverence for what god has called us to oh man i'm terrible with slides I went the wrong way. As the ark of the Lord, wrapping it up here in chapter 6, as the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. When she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. Why? Why? I've read a lot of commentaries, and they were like, well, they, she probably despised him because he was dancing naked in the streets, right? We've heard that before. That's not why. That's not why. My cow, being the daughter of Saul, looking at King David, was despised by David because he wasn't dressed in his kingly robe. What was he wearing? His priestly linen, the ephod. 
She wanted the status. She wanted the integrity. She wanted the, all the glitz and the glam. She said, I am the king's wife. I should be treated like the king's wife. You, you fool, you're standing out there jumping around, celebrating God in a linen ephod. I despise you. And David, David says, I don't care about the title. I don't care if you're calling me king. I don't want that. That doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is that God is being praised. And if it takes a priest to carry the Ark of the Covenant, then I will be a priest. David from the line of Judah. David from the line of Abraham. David, the root of Jesse, the stump of Jesse that was prophesied for years and years, took up his mantle as the king of Israel and humbled himself. And from ashes came celebration. The ashes of anger against the Lord from Uzzah turned into a sacrifice of the bull, into the ashes of celebration that God could now be praised. I think this is the part I've been scared of. Five years ago, when I had experienced a, a hard moment, a moment of pain, and my title of pastor was in jeopardy, I had, a, I had to make a choice. And for me to be able to be here today, formally being recognized as a pastor, honestly, I don't care about the title. I've been a pastor my entire life. But the recognition that God has a calling in my life to be a pastor, I want to be like David. As I lead you guys in this church, I want to lead you into the presence of God. I want to lead you into the presence of God. And I don't want this to be some spiritual enthusiasm. I want you to experience God and encounter Him in mighty miraculous ways that when we worship it wouldn't just be some songs that we've sang these wouldn't be just some familiar words on a screen that when we experience community it wouldn't just be friends that we have when we raise our children that they wouldn't just be our children they're our greatest disciples that when we meet together and we read the word that it would be a living and active word in your life that cuts to the, the deepest parts of your heart and exposes the deepest, darkest sins so that God can work in the light. That's the gospel. That Jesus wants to know you. He's already given his life for you. and He's already proclaimed life over death. Victory over death. And he wants you to experience that too. Worship team, if you guys want to come back up, I'm going to pray for us. And as we sing these last two songs, I want them to be more than just songs. Let's let them be a reflection of our heart in passionate, passionate worship, holy obedience, colliding 
as we sing and we express our hearts. Father God, I thank you for this mantle of leadership that you've given to me. I repent of my own strength. I repent of trying to do things in my own power at times. I repent of possibly stirring up emotions in people that are just emotions. I pray that people would see through that, God. I pray that everyone in this room would see through the emotions and see, God, that the heart of God would be experienced, seen, worshipped, glorified. God, may these two songs here at the end glorify you through our lives and through our song. In your name, amen.